Will you join with me in the scripture reading? Our scriptures uh, today are found in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 to 16. In your pew Bible, it's page 1433. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Well, Father in heaven, as I try now to unfold this text, would you come and help me? And would you grant to your people here hearts to listen and understand and believe and obey? Father, I pray that you would protect me from error and imbalance and that you give me a spirit of humility and contrition and a proper trembling before the word of God. I pray that you'd guard us from the evil one who lands like a bird to pluck the seed off the path as soon as it's sown in some hearts. Forbid that any hearts would be paths like that. Guard us from him. Make the soil good, now I pray. And I ask that you would call many into your service through this striking word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the way I would summarize the point of this text, verses 12 through 16, that was just read for us. Christians move toward need, not comfort. Christians move toward need, not comfort. Verse 13 is the trumpet call in this text. So, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his Reproach. Move with Jesus out of comfort, security, familiarity. Move with him outside the camp where there will be reproach and difficulty and stress and unfamiliarity and suffering. Move with him onto the Calvary Road. On what basis? Well, verse 12 tells us it's on the basis of the death of Jesus, both how it happened and what it accomplished. Verse 12. Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, that's what he accomplished, suffered outside the gate. That's how it happened. Now, verse 13. Therefore, let us go. So since he died in that way, and since he died for this purpose, sanctification of his people, therefore, verse 13 says, let's go. 
there, onto the Calvary Road, up toward Golgotha, where the reproach is, where the cross is. Let's go! See the two parts of verse 12? Outside the gate. Move out. Move out from the camp. The security, the familiarity, the ease of the camp. Move out. Go. The second half. He died to sanctify you. That means that when you go, you don't go with some kind of heroic, self-worked-up courage. You go with a keen awareness, my ability to do this sanctified thing was bought by blood of the Son of God. It didn't just come out of nowhere for me. He shed His blood that I might be made peculiar. Sanctified. Holy. Now the point here, I'll say it again, is Christian, with a Savior like this, who died outside the gate, bearing reproach, and who died to sanctify you and to make you different and to make you holy and to make you loving. Christian, move toward need, not comfort. Now, I know that this point can be ridiculed and misused. For example, a young single woman might say, hmm, move toward need, not comfort. Okay? I'll look around for the weakest most spineless guy I can find and marry him. See if I can help him out. Good exposition, Piper. (laughs) Or a young professional might say, okay, move towards need, not comfort. I'll look for the computer company that's in the worst financial condition and is just about to fold, and I'll try to get a job there as an engineer so that I can possibly meet a need. Or your car might be broken, and you might say, okay, move towards need, not comfort, I'll look for a mechanic whose business is just about to fold because he's so incompetent that nobody ever comes back and I will take my car to him in the hopes that maybe he can be kept in business a little longer and do him some good. So much for your exegesis, Piper. There's a problem with those misuses. And the problem is that they aren't nearly radical enough. For example, what makes you think you should get married? 
Where did that idea come from? Why don't you think verse 13, let us go with him outside the camp and get on the Calvary road that heads towards Golgotha, bearing reproach means God is calling you to a life of absolutely devoted, radical singleness for him. Or maybe you should get married. Maybe you should. And maybe it should be to a person who is so radical that that person would go with you outside the camp. And together you would maximize your suffering in order to more than double the needs you could meet. Maybe. But watch how you think about this thing. It's not there's no assumption that you should get married. The Calvary Road has higher aims than that. It's a relatively little thing in eternity, whether you're married or not. But whether you're on the Calvary Road, bearing reproach for the Savior is a huge thing. And you young professional, what makes you think that you should look for a job in America. Where'd that idea come from? There are companies that do everything you're trained to do among people groups who don't have any Christians in them. Maybe verse 13, let us go with him outside the camp, bearing abuse and reproach for him, means you're not even asking the right question. Strong company versus weak company. Why America? Or maybe, maybe, maybe you should work in America. Small possibility. Because there are perishing people in this company. And maybe you could exert some influence so that the spreadsheet evidences kingdom values. Maybe. You guy, gal with the broken car. What makes you think you should have a car? Why doesn't verse 13 mean to you that you should go outside the camp of America to places and peoples where they don't have or need cars because they don't have roads? And there are no Christians there. And they're all going to hell. And you're worried about which mechanic should fix your car. Of course, all the words of Christ can be ridiculed. It's easy. Makes you look clever, makes him look dumb, and it's one of the easiest ways to escape there is. So that you can have a few more deluded years of escape into what so many call life, which is not life. Verse 13, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. 
because, verse 12, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. The way he died and the why he died make all the difference. It says he died outside the gate. That is, outside the seeming comforts and securities and familiarities of the holy city, Jerusalem. Outside the gate on Golgotha, the trash heap of Jerusalem. Willingly, sacrificially, lovingly, moving toward need, not comfort. And why did he do it? Verse 13 or verse 12, to sanctify the people. You know what that means? To make you different. Isn't that what sanctify means? Set apart. Set apart for God from the world. To turn your values upside down so that unlike almost every other message you get in the American culture, you would be moving toward need, not comfort. Every message you get on television is the opposite. Move towards comfort. Move towards ease. Move towards paradise. And now and then you pick up the Bible and you read, let us go with him outside the camp and bear reproach for him. Now, how do you do that? Where does that kind of strength come from? What's the link between the sanctifying blood of Jesus and the release of that kind of outrageous behavior? And the answer is verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Now connect that. Make sure you see the connection. See the four at the beginning of that verse? Let's go with him as his peculiar, died for, sanctified, different, upside down, radical, outrageous people moving toward need, not comfort on the Calvary Road, moving toward Golgotha with a dying Savior beside us. Let's move into that. For... Here, in Minneapolis, whether it's Phillips or a suburb, here, we've got no lasting city. We're in love with the city to come. There's the power. There's the release. Now, connect verse 14 with the flow of thought from 12 through 13 and ask, on the basis of verse 14, why did Jesus die? And the answer is, he did not die to turn Minneapolis in this age into a paradise. He died so that you would become the kind of person who stops seeking paradise in Minneapolis. Or Eden Prairie. Or New Brighton. Or Bloomington. Or Phillips Neighborhood. He died so that we would stop Pursuing paradise on earth because we are ravished by the paradise to come. 
and so completely satisfied and secured in it that when we turn back to ask, what shall we then do on this earth? The answer is, stop building paradise and move toward need, not comfort. So verse 14 says, there's a paradise, all right. There is a city, and I want it. Oh, I want paradise. But if I try to get it now, I lose it. There's the message for America from the Bible. It's diametrically opposed to the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which is so dangerous as to bring people to ruin in making hash out of a text like this. Let us go with him outside the gate of health, wealth, and prosperity. Outside the camp. Onto the Calvary Road strewn with corpses that leads to Golgotha and has reproach being assailed at it. I love paradise. In the first service, the Osterhuses were sitting in the fifth pew there who lost their boy, Danny, the player, in a plane wreck two weeks ago. The first time back to the church. And at this point in the sermon, I just looked at him and named him. And I said, when you or your boy goes outside the camp to fly a plane for missionaries in the mountains of Ecuador and leaves behind some of the securities on the ground and is willing to take his life in his hands to get missionaries where they need to go, he may die. And when he dies, there is a word that is spoken over him. And it was spoken on the cross. Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Leave it! That you may have it. Nobody is telling you this on the television. Believe me. No magazines of advertising are telling you this. No newspaper is telling you this. But the Bible is telling you this. Christians move towards need, not comfort. And you'll find God there. Now, this structure of thought, this revolutionary structure of thought in 12, 13, and 14, and how 14 relates back especially to 13, this structure of thought... We have seen five times, at least, in this book. Little review. Just so you know, this is weighty on this author's mind, and it's weighty on my mind this morning, because I'm almost done with Hebrews, and I want you to get it. Because this is it. So here's the rehearsing. You can follow me through the text if you want to. I'll just briefly point you to them. Chapter 10, verse 34. The Christians 
moved toward the need of those who were in prison instead of moving toward the comfort of hiddenness in their homes. And what happened? Their goods were plundered. And when they looked back, they rejoiced. Why? Verse 34 says, because they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. They looked to the city which is to come. Chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Moses. He's in the court of Pharaoh. And what does he do? He moves towards need and not comfort by saying, I choose rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I consider that the reproach, same word as 1313, the reproach of Christ is greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Why, Moses? How can you talk like that? That's, that's absurd. That's outrageous. Nobody talks like that. Answer. Because he was looking to the reward. He looked for a city. He looked for a city that was not Minneapolis. It was not any suburb of Minneapolis. It wasn't any lake home. It was a city beyond. And it freed him to walk into the wilderness with a recalcitrant people and lay down the rest of his life and even suffer his own sin that kept him out of the promised land that he might meet needs instead of be comfortable in Egypt. Chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus moved towards need as He moved towards the cross. It says He endured the cross and despised the shame. The shame. How? For the joy that was set before Him. He looked to the city. He sought another city. It wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't the kingdom on the earth. It wasn't great power. It wasn't political might. It wasn't influence. It wasn't wealth, health, and prosperity. It was love and death that he might get to the city, the new Jerusalem, Mount Zion, where his God and Father awaited in coronation. And he waits you. Chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. They move towards need in the prisons, in having guests over, in keeping their marriage vows rather than jumping into bed with somebody that's more handsome or pretty. And they kept their lives free from the love of money. You see that? They were content with what they had. How so? On what basis? Verse 5. For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In other words, I'm a citizen of another city. And my God has written me in a book. And He comes forward into the present, out of that future, and He stands by me and He helps me along the Calvary Road to that city so that I can turn away from the paradise that's being offered me on television every day of my life and embrace suffering and embrace reproach and embrace love in order that I might, at the end of the road, hear Him say, today, not then, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Do you get it? Do you believe we've got Hebrews? Is Hebrews starting to click? Hebrews 13, 13 and 14 stand confirmed by many other texts. Now let's be more specific as we move toward a close here with verses 15 and 16. What do you do on this road? What's this road like? 
this Calvary Road outside the camp where there's reproach. What's it like? Well, two things. It's a road of praise and it's a road of love. Praise to God, love to people. That's verse 15 and verse 16. Let's take them one at a time. Verse 15. Through him, that is through Jesus, then, let us continually. That means through the reproaches and all the suffering and loss. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks or literally that confess his name. I can imagine somebody sitting there who doesn't know my whole theology of Christian hedonism and that I'm the most out-and-out joy seeker there is, could say, you are inviting us to one very unhappy life. If the Calvary Road outside the camp means that to you, you're not on it. You're not on it. If you were on it, you'd know the experience of verse 15. On the Calvary Road, you know who's got his hand on your shoulder all day long? Jesus! Almighty God is on the road with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. No matter how many reproaches come, no matter how many people laugh, no matter how much suffering, no matter what disease, no matter how much persecution, I'll never leave you. And I will help you and I will strengthen you and I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And therefore you, you breathe a deep sigh and say, with you, I can do it. Thank you. I'd rather have you at my side on the Calvary Road than to be without you at any lake in Minnesota, at any fine home in Minnesota, at any luxury cruise that one could offer. Who cares about those things if there's no Jesus at my side leading me on the Calvary Road to the paradise to come? As I walk away from the paradises of this world in order to meet needs rather than seek comfort. I'm inviting you to joy this morning. There's a bridge in San Diego that crosses the sound onto the island, Coronado. And there's a bridge in Brooklyn that leads out of a poor, depressed slum. More people kill themselves off the bridge in San Diego than the Brooklyn Bridge. The houses on Coronado Island start at $750,000. I'm inviting you to joy. There's no joy in the world. The reason there has to be so much drugs, so much booze, so much constant seeking of houses and toys and getting away from it all is because there's this massive vacuum 
in the soul. And the advertisers have to put a good face on it because nobody would buy it if you described the emptiness after it. So please, take from verse 15 a correction that you might have been hearing for a mistake you might have been hearing in the first 20 minutes of this message. That to get on the Calvary road, outside the camp, bearing abuse, heading towards Calvary, looking for the paradise to come, turning your back on what this world offers, that that is sad? That is not sad. You want to know how to sleep at night? Tell somebody about Jesus this afternoon. Risk it. You sleep like a baby. You were made to love. You weren't made to watch TV all afternoon and evening today. Promise you, you weren't. Verse 16. It's not only a road of praise to God, it's a road of love to people. Do not neglect doing good and sharing. Do not neglect doing good and sharing. Isn't that simple? Isn't that beautiful? For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Chapter 11, verse 6. So these are works of faith. They're coming right out of the heart. Just like the sacrifice of praise was called the, the what of lips. What was the word I, I didn't say anything about? The what of lips? Say it. Fruit. The fruit of lips. You know why it's called the fruit of lips? It's because they're not works of lips. Fruit and works. Works of lips. My people praise me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, Jesus said. That's works of lips. So some of you are not believers in this room, and you might have mouthed the songs a few minutes ago. That's works. Just blah, 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 blah. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't come from that. It's not fruit growing on a tree. It's, it's got jacking up a car. Fruit growing on a tree is different than jacking up a car. It just, you watch it in the spring, and it comes out, and you wonder, who's doing that? And the answer is, God's doing that. And He's doing it because the roots are sunk in water and soil and grace. So both verse 15 and verse 16 are fruit. That's why they please God. They're the work of God. So here we are outside the camp, right? We're outside the camp. Many of you, hundreds of you right now are saying, I want this so bad. I don't know what it means. I'm scared to even think about what that might mean in my life. But I want it. Where where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What's it going to mean this afternoon? Maybe it'll mean... Fasting and praying through the 1040 window. You came into this room, last thing on your mind was praying every day for unreached peoples in October. And maybe God is saying, at least that, maybe 10 seconds a day or a minute, 10 minutes. Or it might mean walking to the ministry hall right over there and becoming a partner in 
Ukrainian orphans' lives with Carl and Mary Barrett's creative ministry. Or it might mean uh, heading that direction, downtown, where our local abortion clinic, Midwest Health Center for Women, has moved out of the ninth floor of that medical building that you can see when you walk out here, and has moved down to Fifth Street and Hennepin in a building where there's an alternative high school and a little police precinct underneath, and this time, only one entrance. Only one entrance. (laughs) And with Sarah and Naomi, you can join up and love women in crisis and show them a better way. Or it might mean going to the home, and at this point in my sermon in the first service, I looked right over here to where Glenn was sitting, and I said, it might mean going to the home of Glenn and Patty, or some other home where people walk moment by moment on the brink of eternity and just do what needs to be done. Or it might mean going to page 18 in this book, where all those agencies are listed where you can get involved in ministering to the suffering, persecuted church. Or it might mean getting on the telephone this afternoon and making one of the hardest calls of your life to a dad or a son or a sister or an uncle who you know is running headlong into destruction. And they need to be pleaded with against all odds that they will listen. Or it might mean that the Calvary Road is the path from my back door to Ev's back door who doesn't know Jesus yet. And you've tried and you've tried to figure out how to say it and you need to try again. Or It might mean that when you read in the star that there are low-paying jobs in the office at Bethlehem. You'd check them out. And know that you'd go home at the end of the day unrequited for your hard work with adequate pay and sleep like a baby because it really mattered what you did. My plea, however, as I close, is a little different than all of those ideas. And I know this is not missions week, though I feel it in my bones with this text. I feel God on me saying, do this with this text as we close. Namely, some of you in this room, and there are a lot of college students in this room right now, I know. But I say to you, young, single people, but I also say there are a lot of retired people in the room. This is an interesting service. All of our older people are in this service, and all of our college students are in this this service. So this is a hard service to do. So I say to the retired people, and I say to the young people, the young people, your roots are not as firm, your course is not as fixed. The retired people have 
less energy perhaps, but still quite a bit of energy, but a lot of freedom. A lot of freedom to do a new thing with life. And then there are all of you in the middle who think that because you've got kids or married in a, just starting a new job or whatever, my call is consider seriously this morning, earnestly, passionately, whether verse 13, let us go outside the camp, bearing abuse and reproach with him, on the Calvary road, moving toward Golgotha, trying to meet needs rather than maximize comforts. Let's go might be the great commission spoken this morning. I told you I'm going to on Monday, I'm going down to, uh, tomorrow, I'm going down to Orlando to speak at a missions conference to the students at the Reformed Theological Seminary. I'm taking this sermon. I didn't know I was going to take this sermon until I wrote it yesterday. But I'm taking this sermon and I'm going to, I'm going to plead for dozens of seminarians to walk out, out of the securities of the pastorate. Comfortable, well-paid, retirement-laden, strokes from the people, kids in good schools, 911 available, law-abiding by and large, even in Philip's neighborhood. Leave it! That's what I'm going to call them to do in order to go to places. There are hundreds of people groups that have no church, no agencies, no witness, nothing to bring them to Christ. And He's calling some of you to go. And here's the reason I know that. Revelation 5.11 tells us why Jesus went outside the camp and died. Thou wast slain, and by thy blood didst ransom men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and hast made them a kingdom, priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Christ died for the nations. Therefore, when verse 13 says, let us go to Him out there, surely some of you are going to hear Him say, for the nations... Let's leave the camp of Bethlehem. Let's leave the camp of my job. Let's leave the camp of America and go. God's doing that this morning. He did it in the first service. He's doing it in this service. And I want to close with a hymn of consecration. It's in your bulletin. I invite you to open and find it. And I want to tell you what many of you, when you lay your eyes on this hymn, will know already why this hymn is so significant to close with. There's a story behind it, and you know the story, many of you. This is the hymn that was the favorite hymn of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, Roger Udarian, the five missionaries who moved toward need away from comfort, 
onto Palm Beach in the jungles of Ecuador and were speared to death by those whose needs they were trying to meet. Two days before they left, according to Elizabeth Elliot in her story through Gates of Splendor, they sang this hymn, maybe even that very morning. And she writes, At the close of their prayers, the five men sang one of their favorite hymns, We Rest on Thee, to the stirring tune of Finlandia. Jim and Ed had sung this hymn since college days and knew the verses by heart. On the last verse, their voices rang out with deep conviction. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. Thine is the battle. Thine shall be the praise. When passing through the gates of pearly splendor, victors, we rest with thee through endless days. And they went and they died. Moving toward need, not comfort. Moving toward the paradise to come and leaving the paradise of America behind. And when they died, Jim Elliot's credo came true. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Why? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Not a lake home, not a perfect marriage, not a big retirement plan. We seek the city, the new Jerusalem, the Zion, where God in undiminished Glory reigns. And with that, we are freed to move toward need, not comfort.